And so, you know, I, I, I feel like just like that, we'll be gone. But there were people here before and there'll be people after. And if, if we can exist in a state of happiness, not that that's always pure pleasure, because uh, as my son who just came home from uh, PSR last night told me that the struggle is really where we find the happiness. It, it lets us know what we're happy about. Hi, this is Jack Liebig baseball player and second grader from St. Louis, Missouri, and you are listening to the Vance Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, we are on part three of our five-part Memento Mori series, where we explore the idea of if you contemplate that you will die one day, how does that change how you will live? Today, we sit down with Ryan Whittington, who runs an in-home care company designed to help older people stay in their homes rather than go into a nursing home. This is a wide-ranging conversation that might prompt you to think about having those difficult conversations with your parents or what it would feel like to be an older person whose independence might be etching away. We'll get to that interview in just a moment, but many of you know that we conduct legacy interviews in this studio right here where I record private conversations describing a person's childhood, their career, marriage, the parenting that they did, and the legacy that they hope to leave behind. And then we package it up in a video that you can share with your family or potentially hold it for some time in the future so that your ideas and legacy can be passed on. If you're interested in having me interview you or one of your loved ones, go to LegacyInterviews.com to find out more. All right, without further ado, let's head to the interview with Ryan Whittington. Ryan Whittington, welcome. Thank to you. The podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here. So, if you were retiring, you're you and your wife are all done. You're gonna go off into the sunset. You're building a home. In what way would you construct this home to make it so you could stay there as long as possible? Well, I would build it as a ranch for sure, and um, I would probably focus more on the single level than any other level. Uh, for instance, I, I don't know that I'd go to the expense of building a basement because going down is almost just as hard as going up. And, uh, the clients that I work with and serve, they, uh, they do best on a single floor ranch style house. What else? Things like doors and things like that. Would you widen them out so you could get gurneys through there? Yeah. I would probably consult with a a specialist. I'm not a, a home specialist, but I would work with somebody that would be able to make those kind of recommendations. But, you know, in the, in the world of home care, we focus on having the ability to get a walker through a wheelchair through equipment through. So certainly wider doorways, um, no steps. If I could avoid steps, that would be good. And, uh, a lot of light actually light. Um, when a room has a lot of light, natural light, it's easier for someone that's older to be able to see what's going on. They lose a little bit of that light, depth perception and so no kidding so if you can angle or configure the house best to have as much light as you can so you are in in in-home care which is different from people going into a nursing home how do you describe in-home care to people in-home care is receiving all the care that you would be able to get at a facility but in the comfort of your home and so um when people are asked where they'd like to grow older or receive care, almost 100% of the time it's at home. So uh, we've come a long ways with what you can receive at home as opposed to, you know, even 20 years ago. And basically, if you want to stay at home, you can't. It's just a matter of being connected to the right resources. And often that includes financially being able to prepare for, for staying at home. What is the comparison? I mean, I would think if you're in, we just uh, last week had a guy on that was talking about teaching college kids what Mm -hmm. it's like to age. And he mentioned that most of the time nursing homes are actually more expensive because you're amortizing the price of all of those capabilities among the patients. It it definitely can be. Uh, There's a tipping point and I usually use about 12 hours a day for care. If you need more than 12 hours of care at home per day, you start getting into it being more expensive than a nursing home. Um, So most people need care way before that. They just need a little bit of help each day or a couple days a week. And if that's your situation and you decide to move to a facility, a nursing home, you will definitely overpay as opposed to having care come into the home for just a couple of hours. 
But, um, you know, the most of the clients that we serve or that we work with that are receiving care 12 hours a day or more, it's, it's more of a lifestyle decision than it is anything else. So they're staying at home and they financially prepared to do that because of things like they don't, they don't want to deal with the noise of other residences, uh, other people in the building. They don't want to deal with having to go down f- to a cafeteria to eat. So they much prefer the care at home for those reasons. So when somebody gets engaged into in-home care, like what's the first step? When do people start realizing I need it or my parents need it? And then how does that go? It's usually an adult child, probably the adult daughter that notices that mom or dad is slipping in some way, whether that's their memory or they actually have slipped and fallen and they um, find out on their weekly phone call with mom or dad that they went to the doctor and they were surprised and concerned. And so they fly into town and start talking with mom and dad. And through that conversation, they realize, wow, my parents just aren't nearly as capable as they once were. We do get calls from the actual user, the actual client of ours, the 80, 85 year old client, but it's rare. They often are, they don't see themselves as needing the help. So it usually happens when, when that adult family member calls. And again, it's to an agency like ours, it's usually because they're looking for a professional approach. Uh, And sometimes we're just a a pass through to connect them to a elder attorney or to a, a care manager or to some other professional that can help them plan. So talk about your firm. What do you guys do? How are you located? So we're just, we're in the St. Louis area. So we serve the St. Louis metro area, not Illinois. They have a different set of um, regulations and guidance in Illinois. So we're in in St. Louis County and we employ caregivers that have the skills to go into homes and provide direct care, hands-on care. Um, So, yeah, so the way that happens is the family calls us. We set up a time to go out and sit down across from the kitchen table with with the client and their family members and just talk through their situation and how we can best meet their needs. And for most of our clients, that's anywhere from four to six hours a day up to 24-hour care. And those services can be as basic as, well, during COVID, we heard a lot of people talk about just being lonely from being isolated. So they needed... Their parents needed companionship. They just needed someone to talk to because they don't get out anymore. And that that's huge. That You can't replace that with technology or a bot or anything. That, that just human interaction. So it can be everything from just basic companionship all the way to um, end-of-life care. We hear a lot of clients call us and tell us that they told their mom that they would always keep her at home at end-of-life, and now it's time, and, and they want to make that a possibility. So. You know, I, I'm the daughter of two girls, and just last night, my uh, daughter was woke up in the middle of the night crying, right? And, like, it's really rare. Mm-hmm. And you go in there, and you're, like, tired, and you're, like, you don't really have anything to be crying about. You're just, you know, upset. But I, the thought that it gave me was, one day, Vance, you will return to the point when you can't just get out of bed, or mm-hmm. you can't just... And it was a really, like... Uh, stupefying moment for me, right? Where you realize like just how powerless you are when you lose your ability to be able to get out of bed, things like that. It, it is. And I'm, and I'm only 44 and I have more of those days now than I used to, (laughs) you know, just feeling like, gosh, I'm just not who I was. And so when you get up into the seventies, eighties, I, I would tell you that the number one thing you should do is be nice to your daughter or your (laughs) daughter-in-law because they're going to be making the decisions for you. Is it the daughters? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, and if there isn't the daughter, then it's a, a adult, you know, the oldest son or, uh, but usually it's the daughter. Why do you think that is? I think that they're the, I think the daughters are most interested in seeing success for their parents. And frankly, they're the ones that everyone in the family look to. I think that's just by default. Um, I don't know if it's because families feel like the daughter can quit whatever she's doing and help mom or dad. But usually that's that's what we see is that the daughters or daughter-in-laws are calling us. Yeah, I feel like in my family, I'm the middle of seven, that uh, the daughters are better able to talk with my parents about things they don't want to talk about than I, think than I am. That's probably true. Um, my wife is uh, one of four, and she's the oldest daughter, and she has definitely been the caregiver for her father. And I think um, she just has that ability to organize things. She can organize 
Well, she organizes everything, but she certainly organizes his care and kind of gets the other siblings to pitch in where, where she can. And I think that that's why she's, that's why she's in charge of it. But yeah, they call us and, and we go in and we come up with a plan. And sometimes that plan is, Hey, everything looks okay for now, but you should plan in a year and two years and three years. Here's, here's how you can plan to start with a relationship with a caregiver and it can grow over time. And that's again, another benefit of being in charge of what's happening in your own home. The challenge about what you're doing, it seems like, is that it's certainly it's one person's decision because eventually somebody writes the check. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of people involved in does dad really need help? Right. Or, you know, do right. we really need how does that go? How do you navigate that? Yeah, we we really have we're serving two clients, really the client at home that we're helping hands on the caregivers there. But the family is usually in charge of other things and ultimately is helping decide whether or not we continue to do business. So we do that through identifying who that family member is, at, you know, who's our family contact and communicating with that person and communicating with the client. And we keep them all in a, in a, we have a portal within our scheduling system that everyone in the family can see the care notes. They can participate in how that care is being delivered. And we just do our best to make sure that that's all communicated ongoing. Uh, I mean, as you're saying this, I'm like, oh, of course, you know, my daughter's daycare has like a place where I can log in and right. see the photos. And But I, it hadn't dawned on me that your sure. industry would clearly you know, use technology. It, you know, what's interesting is that that bond between the caregiver and the, the client at home, it's as strong as and sometimes stronger than that family bond between the client and their children or adults, you know, their, their kids, because it's a pretty intimate space. Usually it's the caregivers providing care that uh, family members often don't want to because it's personal care. You're, you know, you're, you're dealing with someone in the most vulnerable positions in, in the bathroom, in the restroom, in the shower. So um, that bond is, is strong. And um, we work really hard to enable that to continue throughout our care. And so family members usually look at that as a positive thing. And they're really only talking with us if they see a negative, if they see a challenge there. So the caregivers that you bring in, you get, you pair people up, you find the right personalities. Yeah, we we have a pretty open hiring process. So we're looking for people with experience, and often those experiences are very different one person to another. Um, but we go through a matching process essentially when we are matching a caregiver to a client. A good example is a client would come to us and have an advanced level of dementia meaning that they may try and wander out of the house or maybe they no longer speak because they've their dementia has left them in that position where they, they can only communicate through movement or um, other forms. We're going to look for a caregiver that has that experience already and introduce them into that situation rather than someone that's very green or doesn't have the training. And so that's what families rely on us for is to be able to match and have a good success long term. How in the world do you find people in today's day and age that have that skill set and want to do this work? Well, traditional routes for sure through, you know, the job postings, but most of it comes through other caregivers that we uh, we already employ. And so we promote our services through them. Um, you know, caregiving is one of those positions where you it's underscored by just a level of compassion. And... Um, Caregivers really have to feel that they're helping someone, that, that they're making the difference. And we allow for that. We allow for that avenue to match them up. And it's hard uh, finding caregivers these days, especially coming through um, the pandemic. And as you know, we're a we're a face-to-face -face situation. So yeah, there's as no soon as COVID right. No, there's no so as soon as COVID hit, we we were right in the middle, just like hospitals and everyone else, of how are we gonna handle this? And we were fortunate to make it work. Um, but the reality is, if a person isn't good working face to face with another human being, they're probably not a good fit for our for our type of industry. So we really look at when we're hiring people, those um, communication skills, soft skills, and make sure that they have that compassion. What level of education do people need to, to do the sort of work you're hiring them for? Well, uh, officially, we require a, a high school degree or GED. Um, ultimately, most of our em employees have gone through some other state-run training, like a CNA program or a home health aid training program. 
But if someone comes to us with no training, we're happy to provide the training and then even connect them to some of those state-sponsored training programs. We, uh, our industry, frankly, is in the position where we can't, we, we don't have the ability to not bring on people with compassion and then train them up. We need more people in our industry because the, the level of need is going up and the number of caregivers available is going down. Let's talk about that. Yeah. What, how, how big is the need getting? Well, I don't have a, a figure for you, but I would say that, um, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier, baby boomers are just now entering the marketplace for needing in-home care. Yeah, this is wild, right? Yeah, you think of yeah. them as being much older, but if they're right. so such a big part of the population, right. that big balloon right. hasn't gotten care yet, so they're going to be... That's exactly right. And our workforce has largely depended on the baby boomers as being caregivers. So they're switching roles from being a caregiver to needing the care. And that's a double whammy in, into our industry. So we are looking for ways to connect with younger generations to be able to show them the benefits of being a caregiver and, and how they can help support that system. So uh, we still employ a lot of baby boomers that are you know, maybe retired and they're looking for some part-time work or um, through caring for their family member, they realize that they just loved caregiving. And so they are, they're working for an agency like ours. So... Um, it's a, it's a, it's a tough sell because it's not your, you know, uh, banker. It, it's a position that, again, you get a lot of benefit from that's outside of financial pay. It just, the, the market doesn't demand a, uh, huge salary. Yeah. It seems to me that like, in addition to the things that are obvious, you're wiping people's bottoms, mm -hmm. you're helping them in the shower is really just intimate on a level of like just being in someone's home, I mean, is a, is a level of intimacy. It, it really probably takes somebody that has not just caregiving, but some level of personal confidence, right? The ability to go into a totally foreign place. And, you know, it's like watching a painter paint. When you watch a caregiver navigate that situation, when they're in the home, it's not their home. They're in this with this family that's not their family, yet they can enter and just provide the confidence that everything's going to be okay. It's amazing to watch. Yeah. My, uh, my mentor, Pete, he's over a hundred years old. He finally had a full-time caregiver come in and you realize really quickly, like I want to have a good relationship mm -hmm. with this caregiver. I want mm -hmm. him to understand that when I call, this is what it means. I want to be in a position where we can relate to one another. It's a right. really important thing. It is. And, and for many of our clients, they'll have multiple caregivers. So when you think about one caregiver, that's great. That person gets to know you real well and and you provide that care. For many, it's it's a group, maybe even five caregivers. And so as an agency, one of our uh, tasks, one of the things families hire us for is to get those five on the same page so that it's continuous care and it's not one person's good, the other person's not as good. We really work on that communication. So it's, again, amazing to watch caregivers come together to care for this other individual and just the way they deliver that care. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty special. So you've been in this business a long time. Did you do caregiving? I did when I first started. So we're, we, this is a family business. My mom founded it, uh, 35 years ago this year. And, uh, when I, when I first came into the business, she was pretty adamant, thankfully that I'd be a caregiver first to really understand what we provide and, and how we provide it. And, um, I'll never forget being a caregiver. And again, I did not go to school for caregiving. Most of what my training is came through working at seniors home care. And I cared for a family member over in Kirkwood. They were, it was a couple, they lived, um, not too far from me actually. And so I would work in the office during the day and then I would go caregive for three hours, three days a week, each or three evenings. And, um, it was about this time of year, actually, now that I think about it, it exactly this time of year, I'd been working there for about six months and uh, I asked the family um, what their plans were for, for Halloween. And they explained to me that they weren't going to participate in Halloween because it just wasn't, they weren't able to get the candy and get to the door. And I felt like that was a shame. And, and they had told me that actually for the last three years, they weren't able to do that. And I thought, wow, you know, it, it, I know handing out candy at our, in our neighborhood is a big deal. All the kids come around, you get to see your neighbors, probably neighbors you don't see ever or for all year, but you get to see them then. And so I just floated out the idea. How about I come over on Halloween? And, uh, they were, 
I could tell touched, but very concerned that then I wouldn't be able to spend Halloween with my kids. And I went home and talked to my wife about that. And we both agreed that if I could do this for them, for this family, it would be so much, I mean, we're going to have, we would have more Halloweens with, with my kids. And we did. And they ultimately said yes. And we got, we had such a great time. We got a bowl of candy. We opened the door and there were so many uh, neighbors that came by and just, they were excited to see the life in, in these, in, in these, these neighbors' eyes and be able to show off their kids and that they hadn't seen for three years. And, you know, that for me was really the experience that solidified that I was in the right industry. Wow. Just, you can give so much that you don't even think about throughout the day. And it doesn't have to be caring. It doesn't have to be uh, wiping bottoms. It doesn't have to be all the medical stuff. It can just be simply being there. Yeah, and allowing them to be present in the in the life, in the culture that, that right. is their community all around. Right. I mean, it, you're, what you're saying really resonates with me because last year was the first year I ever did Halloween okay. um, as a parent. Mm-hmm. And you realize, like, children are the way you stitch community together. Because yeah. your yeah. neighbors, who you might only see as, like, the guy that doesn't get his dog to stop barking all the <laughs> right. time, right? Yeah. When you bring your children around, there's, like, sure. this level of humanity. And sure. we went into a place where they had in-home care. Okay. And the woman was laying on a gurney. And, like, you could tell, like, this is a really big thing for her. My daughter doesn't doesn't know to think that it's awkward or anything. Right. And, like, I, so I – to be able to allow people to function in the culture – without just isolating them. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, uh, it's probably not fair to say, but in some ways going to elder care away from home feels a little like going to jail. Oh, it, it can for sure. Here's the other thing, Vance. I, I, uh, I grew up. So we've been in, a, my family's been in this elder care world forever. And so I grew up going to nursing homes at Christmas time, singing carols. It was just what we did. And I give a lot of that credit to my mom. She's a nurse. She's, she was the founder of the company and really the, the builder of, of the, of the foundation. And I believe that there's just a, a definite need for those younger kids to be comfortable around older people. Most kids you talk to aren't, they just, they're not exposed because we take a lot of the elderly and we put them in facilities or ship them off or whatever. So any chance that, that I, I would say any chance that you get to include your grandkids or the neighbor kids around the elderly and just let them become comfortable with that's aging. That's helpful. That, that helps us all out because that's what's going to happen. There aren't enough facilities. There aren't enough workers. There aren't enough anything to meet the need that's coming up for the people that are going to need the help, which will mean it's going to take the community. It's going to take the families. Yeah. Without the, uh, there's an older woman, she might be listening to this podcast, uh, that, that lives just, just above our house. Like uh, her driveway is above ours. And, uh, she comes over and just holds our infant child and lets my wife run around and get work done. And you think about like, I didn't grow up around that. Like Mm -hmm. I, I was, I lived in Africa before I really was ever around old people as like a regular thing. Of course we'd go see my grandma, but like, It's a part, it's a change in our culture that I don't think anybody could have ever predicted would happen. Mm-hmm. And it changes the nature of how people relate to one another. And and like just the last podcast we did, it shows people that have, are so distant from people getting older, then the only thing you have to do about, the only way you perceive getting older is through this like fear. I don't want right. to be like those old people that are shut That's away right. in the nursing home. That's right. And, and I would say the same is true for my own kids. You know, I, as much as I say what I just said, I look at, are they interacting with, with the elderly as well? And, um, I think, I think so, but I'm always looking for other ways to do that. Um, my kids are big into Boy Scouts. And so we would write, uh, cards at Christmas time or different holidays and deliver them to the, to the nursing home. Most people in the nursing home don't have anyone visiting them. So when they get those little notes, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's great for them. So, um, I think that the more we can do that, the better. And that in another way happens with our caregivers. You know, it's a, it's an industry where, um, again, people are allowed to be compassionate and that's pretty special. You know, you mentioned a minute ago about it's scary to think about a nursing home. And one, one thing I would say is it's scary to think about moving somewhere for your last time. When you think about all the houses that you could move to as a as a younger person, and you've got really the ability to do any of that at any time. Uh, when, when your adult children or someone's telling you that you're going to move to a facility, whether that's even the nicest one in, in St. Louis, 
there's still some finality to that. There can be. And that's scary. There's Yeah, it marks the the last chapter or something. I mean, people right. don't imagine like Who I'm gonna do that? this and then I'm gonna go out and nobody, do something else. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Even even someone that's um aging. So I, I would say especially someone that's aging, because it's like one less thing you have the ability to control. You know, you talked about you got a, a son away at college and uh he's gonna come back. What age do kids start having to deal with the conversation about their about their parents? Do they is it while they're in college? Is it in their thirties, forties? You know, I, I would think it's a little older than that. I would say probably more like forty five, fifty. That's been my experience. Certainly, there are exceptions to that. Um, most people don't have the conversation at all, and that's somewhat the problem uh, because. Again, everyone wants to be independent and they want to let their parents be independent. So, you know, uh, it's 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 hard. And, and time passes so quickly that before you know it, your parents are 75 and uh, you think they've got everything handled fine. And you visit and you can tell that mom is just not making sense. And dad's been covering for her for the last year. And so now you start saying to yourself, gosh, what, I'm going to need to do something. And then you start going through um, fear sometimes because you don't know, do they have the money? Do they have the resources? Am I going to need to move? Are they going to need to move? So am uh, I going to alienate them if right, I ask them? Right. Yeah. yeah. If I bring up the subject, are they going to be upset with me? So, um, you know, when will someone need to start thinking about that? I, I don't think it's ever too soon. Uh, I know a lot of social workers that would tell you start planning for your own aging now, even in your thirties, uh, especially from a, uh, estate and will perspective, uh, powers of attorney, that's never too soon to start planning for that. Um, and I, I think it could also make a difference on how your family has helped handled other situations that have come up throughout life. You know, if your family has been a, a very open family about everything, you're probably having that conversation a lot sooner than the family that's been split up for quite a long time and really only meets at holidays. So, so what do you, what advice do you have for people that know they need to have this conversation? Not necessarily because it's dire right now, mm -hmm. but like what should people know about starting that conversation? Well, certainly uh, even though it can be hard and painful and scary, just start it, you know, just, call your parents and start it, start the conversation and come from a place of compassion. I would probably call and, and say something like mom or dad, you know, I, I've really been thinking about you. And, and I had a friend tell me that they were dealing with some tough stuff with their, their parent. And I just wanted to call and see if we could have a discussion around how you'd like to age again. Uh, I like that. How would you like to age? How you'd like to age because you're in control of it until you aren't. I mean, you, as, as a younger adult, or even, you know, when you get into your 60s, 70s, you're in control. You're in way more control than when you fall and you're in the hospital and you're on, you know, meds and you can't make those decisions. Then, again, it's it's your adult daughter or daughter-in-law or, or if they're not available, it's your son. So how would you like to age? It would be a pretty open-ended question. It's probably going to catch them off guard. But um, even, if, even if that parent doesn't open up to you with all their bank accounts and all their, you know, financials and how they, you know, whether they want to be resuscitated, do not resuscitate or anything. even if they won't, maybe you can encourage them to seek out a professional that can help them. So what is, when, when people sit down at that kitchen table, what are the things that they're thinking about? And what are the things that you think, ah, maybe you should be thinking about these things? Sure. Well, when we're sitting at the table, there's us something's usually happened. So it's usually someone's coming home from a, a rehab facility or coming home from a hospital and they can't care for themselves. So we're often focused around that one-on-one -on -one personal care. If I was thinking about planning, uh, I would think that most of our clients or most of the people that we're talking to, the elderly person, they are scared that they're losing control. I mean, that, that would have to be what I imagine that they're thinking about. And so as much as you can reinforce the fact that we're not here to take away your control. We're actually here to give you control through writing down or planning out what you want. That's where you should focus. Um, and I think that really can be powerful with a with an estate attorney. Uh, 
with an elder care attorney. People often think about attorneys as expensive, and they can be, um, but it's almost like an insurance policy. It ensures that you're going to be able to do the things that you want to do. And so that's a, that's what I would say is a good, good starting point. Yeah. When uh, we'll have an estate attorney on next week and she, uh, you know, talks about like, Hey, you've done all this work to amass some amount of property or wealth. And the, by sitting down with an estate attorney and figuring out what's the end of my life and then how am I going to handle the, mm-hmm. the afterwards? Like no one will ever resent the parent that thought things through. Right. right? It's a gift. But the parents that like thought, you know what, I'm going to live. I, I don't have to worry about this for five or 10 more years. Mm-hmm. Right. That you can really leave your family in a situation where they don't know anything. Right. You can. And and that's um, not always financial. Uh, it can be. But, you know, the medical decisions, if you haven't stated what you want and there are multiple children involved, they may each have their own idea of what you want. And it creates lifelong rifts in families because you, there are situations where one of the family members is making the decision and they question whether that was the right decision for the rest of their lives. So it really can be impactful to lay yeah, and having different discussions, right? Well, I thought dad right. wanted this exactly. and no, I, dad told oh, well, me on Thanksgiving, you know, four years ago, he told me that, you know, they didn't want that. And, the other, the other kid wasn't there. So obviously they didn't hear the conversation and it's all after it's all at a time of pressure and big decisions needing to be made. And, um, that's a hard time to make any kind of decision. So it really is a gift. So help me to understand, you know, right now we've mentioned, uh, somebody to keep you company, somebody to, uh, you know, help you bathe or Mm -hmm. go to the bathroom, but really like, what are all the services? Like, what are all the ways that somebody could care for an older adult? That people might not think of. Sure. And when when we go in, and it's interesting you talk about this. So there's usually a resistance from the client's perspective uh, to the care. And so, you know, the, the daughter calls us and says, my mom needs help. My, my dad, my mom needs help. And we go down and we sit across the table and they just say they don't need help. They don't need anything. So when How some, do those conversations well, go? Well, um, it's tricky. I would say um, usually I tell the adult child, make us the bad guy, make us the person that you can say, yeah, you know what? They, they sound like maybe you don't need them, but let's give them a try. Um, so we usually start with a, let's give them a try. And the, the client usually sees the benefit and, and keeps the services. And in those situations, I would describe our service more as a personal assistant, someone that can take someone to the Muni or to the uh, opera or, you know, do some outings, um, maybe go through the mail or help, pay some bills, uh, more again, as an assistant. And then as you move up into care and as the person's abilities decline, uh, we help a lot of clients that have issues with their vision. And so, you know, they, they need some help getting around the house or they maybe need help preparing meals because they can't navigate the stove anymore. So the, the, the services start to increase at that point. And if you think about what you would do as a, as a, a family member to go over and help your parent, that's exactly what we do. And you'd really probably do anything you needed to, to help them be independent. And that's exactly what we do where we kind of, where we draw the line is the safety of the client and the caregiver. And an example of that is, you know, we don't lift our clients because people's backs get hurt and you probably wouldn't either. You probably would actually as an adult child, because you would do anything for your parent. But if you thought about it, if you knew you were going to hurt yourself, you'd probably figure out another way. And so we start talking with people about Hoyer lifts and sit-to-stand lifts and these different devices in the home that can help everyone be successful with that aging at home. So, um, but meal preparation is a big one. Uh, nutrition is an area where uh, often people as they age will cut back on healthy foods. They'll, they'll start to do the microwave dinners. They'll start to eat out more and start making some of those bad decisions. So we can come in and caregivers can crack open the old recipe book that they used, that the client used for their whole life and start making those recipes again. And all of a sudden now it's, it's more like home, you know, it's more like it used to oh, be. Oh, that's fascinating. So the soup that you always made for your grandchildren, now you can make that again. And so there's all those little intricacies that come along with having someone to one-on-one in the home. And then of course you'd build such a deep relationship, right? If a person can be dedicated to you to right. learning about not only how to make the soup, but like, right. 
when did you eat the soup? Exactly. What does this remind you of? Sure. These sorts of things. And, you know, and then the rest of the family start hearing about that and they're more likely to visit and just be the son or daughter or the grandchild or grandson when they know they're not coming over and mom and dad's going to corner them and ask them to do something. They can just come over and have the soup. They can just come over and have the meal and enjoy the Thanksgiving or whatever that is. There are many times that our caregivers work right through all the holidays. And so they're just there to help out. They're, they're there to make sure that their client that they've been working with forever is comfortable. And if they're a person that needs help in the restroom, that caregiver is there to help them out. And then they can kind of fade into the background and let them be family, be family. So, you know, as you're talking about the resistance, like I remember when we decided we were going to get my parents a housekeeper because we were like, look, my parents are still living in the house. They raised seven kids. And this is not a small house. Right. Right. And, uh, Man, the pushback we got from my parents about that until they finally got it, right? Then once yeah. it was in there, yeah. then it was like, oh, gosh, why didn't we do this years ago? Well, and again, I'll go back to that's just kind of the power of a caregiver knowing how they're helping someone and the conversations they'll have with the with the, the client. Um, at, at the beginning, it's all very new and it's very transactional. But as those caregivers and those clients have their conversations and get to know each other. It's a little bit like dancing. You know, you get to know each other and what the next move is going to be and you already anticipate what it's going to be. So you can uh, really build a, a really neat relationship. Yeah. So what is, what are the costs of these things? How do, how do people afford this? Well, and, and I, and I gave you a little touch on the different services. So just again, to be clear, so that progression can really work from companionship and just talking through care all the way up to hands-on care, including, being present and available at end of life. We have a lot of clients that express to us that um, they want to keep their mom and dad at home through the end of life. And of course, we're not a hospice company and hospice will come in and provide nursing oversight. And what is hospice? How would you, I would describe hospice as an organization that helps certainly the client at end of life be comfortable, but also in many, many ways helps the family negotiate and navigate this dying process. So not all hospice people are going to die tomorrow. That's how it's looked at though. Most people hear hospice and they think, gosh, I would, I don't want hospice because I don't want to die. Well, you know, everybody's going to die. And hospice is a fantastic organization that is very supportive of the family and their whole goal is helping someone be comfortable at the time of death. And sometimes if, if you're very religious, that can have a religious tone to it. But other times it can just be about your pain and, and just the disease that you have. So um, it's it's a fantastic. And, and I encourage all families. Well, what's the line? Where How do you decide, hey, it's time sure. for us to take a step back and them to take a step up? Well, it's interesting. So often, almost exclusively what happens is nobody steps back. We just run parallel to each other. So hospice is provided by nurses and they come in occasionally, I would say. So they come in for like one hour blocks throughout the week. And of course, families have their phone number so that they can come in at any given time. When we're there, we're usually there for 12 hour blocks. So long periods of time because we're there for comfort. We're there to assist with, you know, the bed bathing or um, any kind of continence care, helping somebody maintain their dignity as they're going through this dying process. And hospice nurses just aren't able to do that. They could, they're just not there long enough one or two hours a day. So there usually isn't a pullback. It's usually just that hospice layers on top of our services. Hospice is provided and paid for through the Medicare program. So families aren't paying any out-of-pocket costs for hospice. So this is like, when you say hospice, this isn't like a a noun describing some kind of service. This is like an actual proper noun. This is like a... Hospice is is a... There are many hospices in St. Louis. There are many hospice companies. And families can choose to work with all different ones, and it's a service they provide. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we were, we got here by talking about, like, what does this cost? Like, right. how does somebody decide what's right for right. them? And when we're talking with families, we're always encouraging them to maximize anything that they have already paid for. Health insurance, Medicare, any kind of long-term care insurance, any of those things we want to identify. VA benefits, we want to identify those first so that they can use those and maximize those. Uh, our services are all privately paid for. So um, we can build long-term care insurance, but otherwise it's, it's a, 
not cash because we don't work in cash, but it's essentially a family writing a check for our services. And so um, that, so if a family isn't prepared for that financially, there is a Medicaid route and Medicaid in home care services can help someone and we can connect families to Medicaid companies. We don't participate in the Medicaid program, but again, we can, we can really navigate them towards someone that can. So for us, privately paid for, it's essentially 29 to $33 per hour. So it's an hourly service. Um, minimums are usually in the range of four hours per visit, and it's usually three or four days per week as a minimum. So we're working with clients that want to have us out for a block of time throughout the week. And that price structure is pretty uh, standard. I would, you know, it's a pretty good measure in St. Louis for what you'd pay. I mean, it's Stum- actually shockingly less expensive than what I expected. We I, hear that often. Yeah. I, and, I was expecting you to be like yeah. $60 an hour to, you know, and I'm sure. sure. Yeah. It, it, it can be, if you're looking at more of a specialized nursing, like actual nurse, uh, and costs have gone up just like everything else. They will probably go up again next year, but I agree. Um, if, especially if you're just needing, those four hour blocks three or four times a week. Um, yeah. And I think about like the peace of mind, if you're making it so your 80 year old father right. has an easier load and that, that way when you see him on Sunday, he's sure. not, you know, right. tired. And I mean, what, what wouldn't you be? Exactly. Pay, right? Exactly. And you know, when you think about, we talked a little bit about facilities, we talked about home care. When I talk with families that, that call about our services, I often say home care is a great option to try. It's usually a good long-term option, but if you think about what you're going to do by moving someone and the disruption that causes to their household, and now they have to make choices of what furniture they're going to take to a new facility, and you know, there's a lot of disruption there. If you start with home care and coming into the home, and you're not doing any, you're not disrupting all of that other parts of their lives. They still know where the light switches are. They still know where the couch is. They still know, you know, the the doors in and out, they feel safe in their neighborhood. And if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, you can still move. But if you go straight to moving, it's hard to go back to the home care part. So it's, uh, for, for the cost you talk about, it's, it's a pretty good value. And, um, there's a lot of support that comes from our office in the form of being able to talk to a nurse, um, other social workers and things that just come along with that hourly service to make sure that everyone's safe, we do a, a home assessment. We look around to make sure that there's um, everything's in good working order. And uh, that's just, again, an added service that we offer. So when you think about uh, getting old, what is old to you? Old is, I mean, personally for me, old is not being able to move. Okay. Uh, I, I enjoy an active lifestyle and... Um, I feel like while slowing down is a natural part of aging, I really picture myself if I, if I'm in a position where I can't move as an older person, certainly anything can happen to us as a younger person and you can't move, but that's what I think about as, as old. Now I do like the idea of having a sharp mind. So even if you can't move, if you're able to read and have a sharp mind. um, So I guess maybe I would add on, not being able to move and dementia because dementia really robs you of all those things that you know throughout your life. So not being able to remember your family members and um, your surroundings would be an unfortunate part of, and not everybody gets dementia, but that, that to me is what feels old. And when, what what age do you start thinking, well, you say you're old. I see a lot of active 90 year olds. Wow. Yeah. So, um, again, I, I think a lot of it is a mindset. Uh, when I talk with our older clients about what they attribute themselves to being able to grow old is, uh, my grandmother would have told me that, or did tell me that it was her nightly glass of Chardonnay. So that, that helped her. She never got a flu shot, but her Chardonnay helped her stay healthy. And yeah, my buddy Pete drinks a gin yeah. martini all the time. It's like a critical part. <laughs> right. Of- and, you know, I, I believe her. I believe she's she's passed. I believe her. But I also look at her lifestyle and she walked every day relig- religiously. Um, she read the paper every day. And even at the end, when she couldn't see, she acted like she read the paper. No kidding. She just it was it was who she was. 
And so when I think about your mind staying sharp and your body staying active, those things combined with maybe the, the gin every night really are what I think can lead towards that, that longer life. And I, I would also say that she was generally happy. She's a happy person. She didn't let a whole lot get her down. And I think that there's um, a lot to be said for that. Yeah, I think there's something about optimism. Because it it draws people towards you. You know, if you're an older person and you figured out a way to stay um, away from from the pessimism that makes it right. difficult for you to be around, right. now all of a sudden you have this vibrant social circle. People check in on you more frequently. You just things yeah. get better. Right, and you really are bucking the trend of thinking about that's just the old guy over there sitting. He's he's grumpy. Um, I agree. Yeah, that that mindset. I had a I just remembered I had a client that I talked with last Friday. And when I called him, uh, he must've known it was me. Cause when he answered, he said, happy Friday, Ryan, you know, and, and you don't get that a whole lot. You don't get the, the optimism and the just, uh, positivity. And I think that that goes a long way. I, I do see that with, with our clients that are, have, have lived to be into their nineties and, and beyond. Because you're around it more. Do you think you have, more fear of getting old or less fear of getting old than other people? Well, I know personally, I don't fear getting older. Um, it drives me to do a lot now. It drives me to have meaningful relationships, take the time to do things with my kids and with my friends. And I'm sure many people do that, but um, I don't, I don't fear getting older. Um, and it probably does come from being around a lot of older people. Um, active older people, people that I would call friends and that, um, that I can see have still a great quality of life into their nineties and over a hundred, uh, got, we've got clients over a hundred right now. And it's just amazing to watch them and their families interact and just, um, do they complain about the pains that they have? Sure. Definitely. They do. But, you know, they're, they're able to see those great grandchildren and be proud of them. And so I, I don't I don't fear it. Yeah, I was at a, a funeral home today. Just I was talking with some people there and it, it was um, it was a surreal experience because you're looking at the sale of the memorial thing. So they have like a necklace you could have made from the fingerprint, you know, so somebody could wear that or your casket could be pulled by a Harley Davidson, right. Hmm. To try and celebrate this thing. And I, when I'm looking at all that, it is like really spooky at first. Right. right? Right. But then just like the, the purpose of the series, Memento Mori that we're doing here, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, I want to, I want to delay that longer. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to not take a chance. Like I was driving home. It was pouring down rain after going to this funeral home. And I was going to like, swerve over to try and get to an exit ramp. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to. Do you feel like the calculus of like what is dangerous or what is, is different in your mind? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's like you said, I'm around aging so much that I sometimes, I, I, I guess I just take for granted that I'll age and, you know, hopefully that's true. And I really do mean what I say about, you know, embracing your family, letting them know what they, what you want and, and how you want it, because that's really what'll happen. That, that'll be the decisions that, that'll be made. So, um, I don't know. I just, I, uh, I, I feel fortunate to be able to meet with so many families and help them navigate this. It's usually their first time. And, and, and that's powerful for me. What do you think is the meaning of this life that we're leading? Hmm. It's a good question. I'm not sure I've ever been asked that. Um, I think it's, happiness. I think that, uh, I, I am a believer in, in, uh, I'm a faith filled guy and I, I believe in, in God. And I, I believe that there would be no reason for us to be here other than happiness. And so, um, looking for that each day is, is what continues to 
keep me focused on growing, even with my own kids. And, and so, you know, I, I, I feel like just like that, we'll be gone, but there were people here before and there'll be people after. And if, if we can exist in a state of happiness, not that that's always pure pleasure because, uh, as my son who just came home from, uh, PSR last night told me that the struggle is really where we find the happiness. It, it lets us know what we're happy about. And so, um, I think communication, interpersonal relationships is, is a big part of that. What is PSR? Oh, it's, uh, it's the, so we're Catholic and he doesn't belong or he doesn't go to the Catholic school. He goes to public school. Oh, okay. And so when you're public school, you go to PSR, which, uh, Paris, Parish School of Religion. Ah, we used to call it CCD. Okay. Catholic right. Catechism okay. something. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like. So same thing. <laughs> so uh, he's in eighth grade and he's he'll be confirmed soon. And we we're just talking about what they learned. So um, I I was impressed that he remembered that. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly don't remember CCD having anything to do about the struggle, but I actually think that is correct, right? Mm-hmm. Like it seems to me that there's almost nothing I value that wasn't a struggle either to attain or to keep. Right. And I think so much about your younger years is about how do I get, right? How do sure. I get there in that right. struggle? But when you get a little older, all of a sudden, a whole lot of value comes from like, hey, I got this great right. marriage. Sure. What do I got to do to keep it? Yeah. And that struggle being not one of conquest, but one of endurance or something, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. maybe maybe something deep in the... In the in the experience of, of life. And it could be one of the reasons why most of the older people I talk to are thankful rather than angry. You know, they're just thankful for everything that they've experienced and continue to experience rather than resenting or, um, because I, I mean, they really more than anything realize how short life is. Yeah, that's true. The, the, you know, I, I have a friend, um, Michael Ring, who always says resentment is a map, right? It shows you the distance between where you think you should be and where you are, right? Right. And I can't imagine a more horrible prison Mm -hmm. than to be in your old age Mm -hmm. and feel resentful about Mm -hmm. something. So there's got to be something to the clearing those types of things up in order to have a life that's uh, good at the end. Sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, again, fortunately most of the families that we work with are coming to us in a place of happiness and um, strong bonds. And the ones that aren't, you can see it stands out. The, uh, the, the adult child that really hires us because they didn't have a good relationship and they're obligated to, to hire us. And uh, I would agree. Those are, those are situations that are probably difficult for sure on everyone. Yeah, that I mean, it's interesting to think about the like I've been very impressed with how this is a positive thing that you're describing, like, because I think so much about getting old is like delay it as long as you possibly can. (laughs) But when I hear you describe what the services are and like how you can do it, like I think about my own parents and think about like, man, what what do you want to do more than to repay mm-hmm. whatever this existence is? And and I, you think about like, well, when you're a kid, you're like resentful of like, oh, mom and dad didn't give me X or Y or Z. Sure. But as soon as you have kids, you're like, whoa, however yeah. they did this, I right. owe them. Right. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good chance to, there's a role reversal there. Um, you know, the adult ch- children taking care of the parents. And, you know, if, if you can allow yourself to be a caregiver for your parent and enjoy it, and there's a way that you can be on the same page with that, it's, it's, it's special. It's, it's definitely more positive than negative. Um, again, I, I think some of the unfortunate challenges that exist in that are things like dementia and um, just chronic diseases like that because it just robs the ability for that special time. What is something about dementia that you've observed because you've been around it that most people don't know about? Um, I know virtually nothing about okay. it. Okay, yeah. Well, it, it, it can present itself very early, and most people probably dismiss it. So in the form of, um, well, so that's true, and now there are more resources than ever. Mainly right here, WashU is a huge study center for Alzheimer's, let's just say. And... Um, 
and it just progresses fairly rapidly. It's different for everyone, but it's just amazing how, how quickly it can progress. And you often think about how it affects someone's ability to remember things in their mind, but it does have a very big physical impact on people as well. It's just, oh, it does. Yeah, because their mind is controlling their body. And so when your mind can no longer control your body because of that disease, people start declining physically as well. And so um, that's a big thing to be prepared for. for yeah, sure. Pete, uh, his wife um, passed away from Alzheimer's. And uh, I remember him talking about like how he tried to care for her until one day he had let her walk to church and he looks outside the window and he mm. can see she's walking the wrong way. Mm. And, and him being like, she would never have chosen to do that. She made right. that path, right. you know, thousands of times. Yeah. And that being like a really right. uh, jarring moment for him to be sure. like, the person that was there isn't there. Well, yeah, that's that's for sure. And, and the other thing that I would tell you that most people wouldn't realize is that a person with dementia is going to require twice, three times or four times the amount of care and support than someone that's just growing older and needing assistance. And that is often put on the family. So um, it's just that much more important to be having those conversations before there's a problem around how do you want to live your life? Let's talk about what resources, let's talk about what that looks like. Let's talk, you opened with what would I design my home to be? Let's talk about your home. Let's talk, talk to your parents about their home. Is it the home that you grew up in and it's two stories and beautiful but they haven't been on the second floor in the basement for the last 10 years. And and what's that going to look like as you start needing help? Um, yeah, those... my parents started putting in banisters. And I remember at first I was like, what do we need all these things for? And right. you're like, oh, yeah. it makes it so they and can the keep on. going, right? They've got right. a few more years down right. there. And there are so many great resources now. There have been for a long time, but just in the form of universal design and, and designing a home doesn't have to be a new home. It can be a, a, a retrofit to a, a current home, but designing a home so that it doesn't look old. It doesn't look like it's for old people. It can benefit kids. It can benefit just everyone. Um, and and being able to introduce those resources so that families can plan is, is enormous. So huge uh, farmer audience, a lot of people living out in rural. There's probably people right now in okay. a combine or a grain truck right now, and they've Love got it. kids that uh, um, maybe normally would go into nursing or yeah. something like that. If you were going to make the pitch for talk to your kids about be, being a, a caregiver, how would you make that pitch? Well, I think um, it would be important to expose them to caregiving, even if they are ultimately going, as a, going to be a nurse or a physical therapist or occupational therapist. So many opportunities along the way of being a caregiver as you're learning those things because um, – you don't really know until you experience being a caregiver that that's really what you want to do. And so I would say, teach your kids to be open to caring for someone, even if ultimately they don't go that route. Um, and and I, I believe that over the next 10 to 15 years, the caregiving career, the force, the workforce behind caregiving will accelerate. The costs that I shared with you will go up, but the, it'll go up to create a stronger industry of caregivers. Um, Man, you're really positive. That's exactly right, right? Like if you need more, if the prices go up, people can provide. Right. And as the number of people that need it go up, you probably see competitors like you were talking when we sat down before we started. Sure. Right? Like all oh, yeah. the other industries that will kind of come well, in. You know, the worker that we're talking to is maybe also working uh, in the hotel industry. They may be working in retail and not quite realize that this is really their passion. And so introducing them to caregiving is our goal is our, our charge as an industry. I am optimistic. I'm positive on that. Um, we talked a little bit offline about the whole idea of Uber and how Uber has created this culture for, I want to get somewhere now and, and I'm just going to jump on this app and I'm going to be there. Yes. I'm going to pay a little bit more, but it's convenient. Um, I'm going to give up that personalized experience with my neighbor giving me a ride or my son giving me a ride, but, but I'm not going to have to bother them. So I'm just going to jump on that is, will be a necessity in our industry as well, because, uh, they're just the, the workforce demands flexibility. 
And the traditional approach that we have as an agency, we will have to change ourselves. The traditional approach where we hire someone, we tell them to go there from eight to eight and they go there, that, that'll still be around. But there's just so many more people that want to say, well, I only want to work on Tuesdays and Thursdays this week between five and seven. And if you can't offer me that, I'm not coming to work for you. To capture that market, I, I believe that there will be uh, an app I imagine an app that an adult daughter in Texas can jump on about their parent in St. Louis and order up a, a caregiver for three hours on Tuesday and do that once a month. And they'll have, uh, they'll have the confidence because they're used to that type of interaction on an app as opposed to the fa the actual 80 year old. Is yeah. But the daughter in Texas is used to that and she'll get on and she'll see that that caregiver who she has no clue who that person is, but she'll see the reviews. She'll see the five stars. She'll feel comfortable doing that. And she'll order up that caregiver and then she'll give a review. The caregiver will give a review and that will grow. Uh, and, and that will be a way forward for that. that well, client. you think about the Instacart that makes it possible to do groceries that right. way. That's really probably opened up a lot of people to be able to stay in their homes a lot longer. It definitely has. That used to be for the sure. one thing the parent right. couldn't do anymore right. if they can't drive. But I'm still very optimistic on our place from a caregiver client relationship. And I don't think it will be replaced by that app. Just like Uber didn't replace all taxis or all transportation. So I still see our place for meaningful relationships, the oversight, the industry's place for that. I just see the, making up the difference with with technology that makes total sense to me i mean like to me i think what you guys are actually doing will not precisely be a part of the gig economy right, right? because you like can walk in our door yeah you talk about somebody that's going to gonna come in and say hey let's do trick-or-treating so you can meet your neighbors that's right. not going to be the task rabbit that's uh, right doer that's that's, that's right. something else yeah yeah so um and i love it i love how that can uh help certainly our mission at seniors home care which is to help people age at home so today was a big day for you with, yeah. with your business. You want to talk about yeah, that? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. We, uh, my mom and I have been business partners for 15 years now. And 10 years ago, we decided that it would make sense uh, for me to have a succession plan to start taking the business over. And today marks the day where I actually purchased the remaining shares of her interest in the company. So uh, uh, very exciting and a little nervous taking on a little bit of debt, but, uh, but that's okay. I, I, as you can tell, I'm, I'm passionate about what we do and am very optimistic about where we're going to go. And I know she is as well. She and I are very close and talk often and it just for the, for the life of the business and where we're going made total sense to, to do this. So. Man, congratulations. Yeah. You know, it's funny cause we met about 10 years ago in a Toastmasters and I remember right. you talking about this and, uh, I mean, like to have gone the distance shows you're practicing what you preach, right? You're having real conversations about right. things that actually yeah. matter with your family. Well, and it was important to us that this family business remain a family business. Um, in our space, there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions, a lot of companies being bought up by large organizations, and that's just not our culture. So um, look forward to meeting with, with my team, my whole company, and, and sharing that great news with them. I, uh, I'm sure they're going to be excited about that. I, I uh, again, our culture is very much family oriented and that's one of the reasons why people work with us. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. And now that you have the last of the shares, now it's finally yours. Is there <laughs> some dramatic giant change you've been looking to make? Uh, you know, no, there's not, there will be changes, but we're going to, my wife is also my business partner and, and she's uh, going to become a bigger part of the company. And she and I have kind of made the agreement that we're going to let things ride for a little bit. We, we have a great organization, a great service, great people, and we really want to continue that and um, then look forward to some other strategic plans that we can, we can take on in the next year. So, so as a 44-year-old man that's uh, taking this on your shoulders, right? You mentioned that you take on debt. It, yep. you, you're buying it. Like, uh, what, is, what does it feel like, right? Like, wh how, how? what's the experience of being in this? It's another, it's not the yeah. final chapter, like right. moving into a nursing yeah. home. It's a different thing. Yeah. 
Um, it feels great. Um, and it feels exciting, frankly. I'm excited. Um, mixed in with a little bit of, of fear, but I think that that's good. I think that that's a little bit like that struggle. It keeps you going. Yeah, that's exactly and, right. And, uh, um, but I would never let that fear hold me back. So I'm excited. Well, Ryan, this has been an absolute pleasure. If people wanted to have, you know, you or one of your associates come in and talk sure. with somebody from their family, how would they go about finding you? Uh, well, you could certainly go to our website. It's seniorshomecare.com and seniors is plural seniorshomecare.com. Um, you could Google us. We're very, uh, well found here in St. Louis. Uh, and, uh, our phone number, if that's what you're into is, means, is yeah. 314-962-2666. Again, uh, we focus our area, our service area here in the St. Louis Metro area, but we make a lot of referrals across the nation. We're, we're connected to some other affiliates that we can, we can make a record. So if somebody called and they were in Omaha, yep. they could say, Hey, right. give me, give me some ideas that's or how right. can I go about finding somebody? Exactly. Well, man, Congratulations thanks. on the business and yeah. thanks for coming by. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for staying to the end of the interview. As a special treat, we've included a small clip of a legacy interview that we did where the person knew that it was going to be public. If you're interested in having us record a private legacy interview, go to LegacyInterviews.com to find out more. Sister-in-law, or my sister-in-law, our sister-in-law now, Maureen, was a friend of Gina's in when they were at the University of Iowa. She married my brother and told me that she had this friend in St. Louis that I should meet named Gina. I said, well, give me your number. I, I was working in St. I moved to St. Louis to work for Monsanto. And she said, well, I don't think I'll give you her number. I, I want to introduce you in person. I, you'd probably screw it up if you called her correctly. <laughs> and so it was six months before they came to visit. And I just happened to say, Maureen, what about that woman you wanted me to meet? Oh, yes, let's call her. So we called and asked, would you like to come to a baseball game on a Saturday afternoon? And of course, she was busy. Um, so the only time we could get together while they were still here to introduce me was on Sunday morning. And we said, well, let's go to Mass. And Gina, which is your church, it turned out it was the new cathedral. So we met in the back of the new cathedral at the 10 o'clock Mass. Um, in the fall of 84.